Tearing through the veins of the underhive like an iron-scaled radioactive frost drake. We are 665.66UHMR Kemrat Radio. Coming to you live tonight from Frank's Rucket Truck. And it's a good thing we're here too, boys. Looks like that Corridor 54 killer is out and stalking again. This time leaving his skin victims hanging upside down in the Reinhide hab stacks probably time to stock up on guns, ammo, and chimichangas. I'm your host tonight for this wild ride along the razor's edge of the pirate Vox waves, Goblin King. Joined by my co-host, the delirious devil of two-fisted underhive justice, Marky. And master of the iron horses of the frost hollow, it's the polar bear himself, Chuckerfly. Hey everyone, hope you all had a great uh, sanguineous and a uh... Just so you all know, I got a new mirror and uh, metal straws. <laughs> you want everybody to have a happy sanguineous? Not sanguinilla. Have a happy so sanguineous. Sanguineous, sanguinilla, but, you, you know, when you got all that warp <laughs> stuff going on, you don't know what day it is half the time. Make, <laughs> make sure you're changing out all your red lights. <laughs> sanguineous, you don't have to turn on the red I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> Welcome to episode 98 of Under the Hive of Madness, The Battle of Calf Part 3. As we covered in our last two episodes, uh, shit, shit's getting real hot in Calf. Word bears showed up, stole a ship, crashed a ship into a bunch of stuff. As soon as the ship was done on its Wreck-It Ralph path from the outer system to the inner system, destroying as much shit as it could. The word bearers came in right behind it and opened up with all their guns, just basically turning everything in Kalth's near orbit into a hell zone. Got so bad that McCraig's Honor, the flagship of the Ultramarines itself, was compromised and Primark Reboot Gilliman was blown into space. But after about a 10-hour struggle, they were able to fight their way back onto the ship take it back over ultramarines regained control and the primarch was able to make it back to the ship as well which Yay. just uh, turned into a big old steaming pile of poopy right the ultramarines yep and however then, uh, gilliman's 10 hour plot armor right scenario <laughs> happened his oxygen straw <laughs> yeah he's just sucking Cr- it straight out open. of those word barriers yeah cracking open cracking open word power <laughs> armored <laughs> old bear <laughs> A little bit of Perrier there, Perrier right there. Perrier. Word bearer air. Yeah. The ones that are but, a little more chaos tainted or a little bit spicier, you know. <laughs> it's, it's like Tabasco. Yeah. <laughs> Not Tabasco. It's like, it's like CS a, gas. Like a strong, sc- <laughs> they're, they're like, they're like a strong scotch. Yeah. Clears the sinuses. It's not like opening a, a Nurgle, what a Nurgle, a death guard, Marky. <laughs> <laughs> That's like sucking a fart through. Oh it's probably too God. early to have this conversation. <laughs> we haven't gotten deep you enough get, into the podcast Have you guys seen yet. that? I, I think it was like <laughs> wow. Jackass 2. Was it Jackass 2 where the dude had like the, the space helmet and like oh, a, yeah. the big guy I, like farted through a tube and like you see the bowl turn brown and the dude. <laughs> it was. Have you seen that, Chuck? I think wow. it may have been three. Uh, I don't think it was two. I can't remember. <laughs> it was, yeah, that, that's what happened <laughs> to that guy. <laughs> it, was, so, it was horrible, but. Great. <laughs> As well, this whole battle happening, <laughs> air is a necessity. Yes. <laughs> As this whole battle is happening in the void around Kalth and near Kalth space, 
orbital platforms are going down, orbital ring completely disintegrated, these different space stations, all this shit's just exploding. It's apocalypse in space around the planet. The planet itself is also completely under siege. And that is where our story takes us today. We are going to talk about Kalf besieged. Leave no stone upon stone. Salt the earth with the blood of the fallen and leave only ashes to mark their passing. Let Kalth be the grave marker of the Ultramarines. Nur Asokatan, the butcher of Drainhold and the master of the word bearer's frayed hand chapter. Flayed hand chapter, excuse me. This is a, that was a mouthful. I'm not gonna lie. The, we're getting into the, the Game of Thrones character names. Yeah, no shit, right? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> God damn. I was like, master of the word bearers, Drainhold, drain butcher of. We've got. Butcher of Blaviken freaking douchebag over here in Narasokaton. <laughs> ah, I love the Butcher of Blaviken. <laughs> I just remember that. That's one of the things is my wife's been rewatching Game of Thrones and I've kind of, it's just in the background when I'm doing other stuff. The thing that always strikes out to me is like 90% of that show, as much as we, we like to joke that it's boobs or this or dragons or whatever, 90% of that show is actually just incest. Right. Lord Maxwell left foot a kiss, master of the shoes, of Pennybottom, counter of the ways, of shoelaces, and eater of chickens. And you're like, Jesus Christ, why is half this show just dudes' titles? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's like, dude, long dong, King Kong, and just like, Jesus. It's I always guess. like, yeah, it's always their name and like where they're from. So yeah. like you know, and he just Ryan... has like a cock piece that like drags on the floor, kind of deal, right? Like the long <laughs> the cod piece. What do you call him? Cod piece. Cod, cod piece. piece. Not no, cod no, piece. No, Sorry, no. I always thought it was cock piece for some reason. It's I not don't know cod. Why. It's cod piece. I mean, just just think of it though, right? Like I'm Lord Barracus, right? Lord Ryan Barracus from Iowa, master of pugs, <laughs> like, like, <laughs> and then like like driver of Subaru. Owner of podcast, friend wow. to Marky and Chuckerfly, and then wow. it would be <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's a handle, <laughs> right? Like that's what it is, though. It's just all these fucking different titles, and it's just like where you're from, whether or not you own a pet. Yeah, who? You what's know. the thing you do? Yeah, who do you know? Who do you owe money to? <laughs> uh, and that that's it's kind of where it's getting with these with these Horace Heresy, Horace Heresy titles yeah that harassy man that harassy is it's a long journey for sure historians assume that the word bearers acted out on a synchronized attack both in the void and on calth's surface using the caponile's death run through low orbit as their target or trigger however accounts gathered from necrocortical probes and those that survived the fighting paint a different story by the way I don't think I've ever written a more dark sentence than accounts gathered from necrocortical probes. I didn't even understand half of that. So, so necro being something dead and cortical, yeah, cortical being your brain. So they figured out what happened at Kalth by sticking probes into dead people's brains. Oh. Yeah, not then, enough people then, survive to get a good account without the, literally like violating the dead. Then jump starting them a little bit. 
Yeah, yeah. it's like <laughs> you remember Wild Wild West where they like had the dude's head and they like they're like, yeah, if we just shine a light on his eyeballs, we see the last image that he saw before he died. It's yep. like shows whatever butcher of such and such city, blah blah blah. You know the long name thing. Butcher of Merkin Bay. Yeah, something like that, right? You know what a Merkin uh, is, right? Merkin? Yeah, it's when you don't have pubic hair, so you have a pubic toupee. I thought that was just like the short version of American. <laughs> but I guess I dig what you're, I pick up what you're putting down now. It's the, the butcher of Merkin Bay. <laughs> anyway, you were saying the butcher of Dane Hold? Uh, Drain Hold. I, I totally lost my thought when you brought that up. I was just really... <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> I sidetracked you with the talk of Merkin. Yeah, huh? you really came out of left field with that one and just blindsided me with it. I was like, oh, all right, we're on this right now. Um, so, yeah, that, the, the way that. Yeah, yeah, go for it. <laughs> I was going to say, though, the way that they rebuilt what happened was they basically like took brains out of dead people and then figured out how to rebuild their memories, resurrect the memories of the dead to tell history, essentially. Which is very, it. very dark, very grim dark. Whether they were driven by bloodlust and revenge, or if it was simple miscommunication, the word bearers' forces on the planet began the slaughter long before the ships began to rain down from the skies of that world. So if you guys remember, all these ships, all this different shit's broken apart, and it's essentially just falling, and meteoring, meteoring, yeah, that's, that's the word I'm going to use, out of the sky and just slamming into the planet left and right. I remember what I was going to say now. Uh-oh. The guy... <laughs> The guy that uh, they pulled the memories from, the last thing he remembers is uh, Gilliman grabbing him, cracking him open, and sucking the, <laughs> the air from his, from his yeah, right. loins, wherever you get air from. But just imagine, like, the humans on the planet. <laughs> like, literally, the last thing that goes through their brain is their ass. <laughs> There's a joke. Wow. What's the last thing that goes through a fly's mind when it hits a windshield? It's ass. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> So on the planet of Calth, there were a bunch of these remote muster camps, and they had been established in the few remaining wild places of the world. These muster camps essentially saw just a series of coldly executed massacres with small contingents of ultramarines who were intended to act as hosts and emissaries being put to the knife by their erstwhile brothers. So the word bearers would land, these guys would come out to be like, oh, you know, great to see you. We're ready to take them orcs on. And then they would just get fucking... Mooked right Murdered. there. Just ganked. Yep. All along the northern coast at the edge of the satiric wastes, the word bearers built grotesque monuments of treachery from the bones of their unsuspecting allies. It's hard to consider these attacks as sane warfare since the isolated camps served as assembly points, not strategic targets. They had been meant to reduce disruption to Kalth's larger cities due to the Astartes' presence and had been reserved for the word bearers. So these were camps that were set aside for the word bearers to train at. And the only ultramarines that were there were essentially these like honor guard. That was it. And these dudes were just, fuck it, we're killing the honor guard. The purpose of these attacks has since been debated. Were they simply troops descending into bloodlust and madness, or was there some malign pattern to these actions? Perhaps it was some unfathomable, Colchisian dogmatic practice. Dogmatic being somewhere between like it was religious, essentially. They were religiously killing their allies. Um, I'm gonna go with the religious allies. part. Yeah, definitely. Warp, All of warp, this stinks of ritual. Religion. Yeah. Yeah. In more populated areas, especially those near the great cities and spaceports of Kalf, such wholesale butchery was absent. 
Forgotten reports indicate that certain 13th Legion Ultramarines commanders and their entourages were eliminated hours before the beginning of the opening fighting on Calf. most likely the victims of Wordbearer's assassination cadres, which had infiltrated Ultramarine staging areas under the guise of friendship. These assassins rarely survived their murderous attacks, for even confused and shocked, the Ultramarines responded to violent attacks with immediate and deadly retribution. So, as opposed to the muster sites that were like in the wilds that were set aside for large action training, all of the areas near the cities were very precise. The word bearers struck precisely, they eliminated commanders and command figures, and then they either left or they sent in so few resources that it didn't really matter if they all died. However, even then, the damage had already been done with these assassinations. They gutted the rigid chain of command that formed the backbone of the 13th Legion. The savage and covert orbital assault of the word bearers had left the Ultramarines and their allies reeling in shock. Their fleet had been decimated and scattered across the Viridian system. Entire worlds had been destroyed. A treachery none of the Ultramarines had seen coming. It's a little sad, man. You wonder why the uh, Ultramarines are so uptight, you know, because they got their... Definitely their, paints a picture. poopy pushed in by... Uh, word bearers have red armor, right? Yeah, word bearers. Now, well, yes. This is, this is the battle where word bearers' armor becomes red. Yeah, oh, this is, this was is a whole, the whole gray. thing. Gray. It was gray. Like a stone oh. gray. Because this is the thing, when you yep. read the book, a lot of the Ultramarines are like, why are you in red? Oh, is this a new thing? Nobody yep. knew this. Some ships were red, some ships were gray. It was like right in the middle of the transition. Yeah. Huh. Was there a a reason that you that you know why they switched to red? It was the color that they adopted specifically to show that their allegiance had shifted. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So it's not like uh corn where it's like, yeah, no. it's red because, you know, we're I'm covered just in, blood. in blood now. No, yeah. they they chose to change their color to red specifically. It was the way to mark out the fact that they were following the dark powers. Yeah, because their their color scheme is pretty damn similar to the World Eaters, right? It's very close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I always uh, back before I really knew any uh, much about chaos, I always mixed on the table at least word bearers and world eaters, um, just because the the names color are scheme. somewhat similar and they look pretty pretty close to one another the big thing that usually separates a word bearers army or at least back in the day from a world eaters army is world eaters would run berserkers and word bearers would run the Galvorbach, the um crazy demon things the possessed do you oh, remember okay, the possessed okay. the possessed yeah. marines yeah 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 it originally have with so the word bearers right yeah. yeah, the word bearers have been acting to infiltrate hundreds of thousands of chaos cultists across Calf in the months leading up to the battle, under the guise of building up for the assault on the orcs of Galgash. So, in a lot of cases, Space Marines had Imperial Army units that they preferred to fight with, and this is essentially the word bearers moving their preferred Imperial Army forces to Calf, and at this point there's no reason for anybody to suspect they're anything other than imperial army regulars it's only when the switch flips that what they are and how they act is revealed and even if certain signs of chaos worship or chaos cultist army regulars so to speak had been present nobody would have known what it what it was the the octed the thing that we all associate in 40k is being a definite mark of Chaos Undivided, the eight-pointed star, the octed, the, the circle with the eight arrows. Mm -hmm. In 30K, at the Battle of Kalf, 
no one, no one knew what that was. That was just a weird symbol. Yeah. It had no religious connotation. It had no negative connotation yet. Yeah, because it's uh, almost like Horus, right? When you see Horus, you're like, oh, that's obviously chaos. But it's like, no, it's kind of just the way Horus looked. looked. In fact, if you look at Sanguinius's armor, one of the things that stands out on Horus's armor as being chaosy are all of the eyes. But right. if you look at Sanguinius's armor, as Very Chuck similar. just said, he's got all the eye on it, too. It's the eye of Horus, the eye that always looks to Terra, essentially. Yep. It actually was a good thing ter- uh, corrupted. Hmm. These Chaos Celtists fell on their former loyalist allies in the Imperial Army, attempting to destroy them in the name of the Chaos Gods. In total, 100,000 word-bearer Astardes were committed to the assault on the planet's surface. Backed up by traitorous elements of the Dark Mechanicus and the fearsome traitor titans, and it wasn't long until a brutal ground war had erupted. The savagery of the word-bearer's assault threatened to overwhelm the beleaguered defenders within only a matter of hours. However, Corferon had underestimated the tenacity and the resolve of the Ultramarines. On the verdant fields of Komesh, the Ultramarines' ninth chapter died, its half-assembled ranks overrun by tides of scarlet warriors and armored vehicles under the command of Odral Fell. Small pockets of cobalt blue shone sporadically across the plains as individual companies and small detachments made brave but futile last stands with whatever weapons and munitions they had had at hand. The fighting at Komesh was to be some of the bloodiest, with around 15,000 ultramarines dying. The survivors, numbering about 5,000, would later fight their way free under the command of Tetrarch Taro Nicodemus in a running battle that would last almost 20 hours. Further north at the muster camps of Irund, just outside Numinous City, Titan Legion Satoravo laid into the first, second, and third chapters of the Ultramarines Legion. Faced with these angry metal gods, even Space Marines were as helpless as children, and hundreds died to each salvo of the Titans. Only determined resistance from the first chapter armored companies saved these Ultramarines from complete destruction. Shadow Sword and Falchion super heavy tanks ambushed Titans as they strode unopposed through the retreating warriors of the 13th Legion, grievously wounding the mass of war machines. However, they paid dearly as only two Shadow Sword tanks and a single damaged Falchion escaped the chaos within the muster zone. Part of a column under Captain Sidance, which fought its way to clear the massacre. But even in the cases where they're winning or they're getting fucked. I don't even know if winning is the right word. Yeah. Even even when they're not outright being wholesale murdered, they're not doing real well. On the far side of Kalth, where night currently reigned, in the sprawling munitions plant of Danehold, the word bearers drove screaming swarms of ragged auxiliaries against the warriors of the 13th Legion, which was barricaded inside the fortified manufactorum buildings. Only when the Ultramarines' guns had run dry and the corridors of the Manufactora were strewn with the blasted corpses of the fallen did Nor Asakatan. How did you pronounce? You just pronounced his name. Uh, Nur Asokatan. Nur Asokatan led the Cataphracti armored elite of the Flayed Hand forward to hunt down the surviving Ultramarines. Outmatched and cornered, the Marines of Ultramar fought on with combat blades and improvised explosive devices severing power to several facilities to use the darkness as their advantage. None yeah, of these are going well. Wrong. It's like yeah, a sock, a sock tan, a sock tan. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, 
I'm not sure That's, what is that when you don't have your socks culture A S O K T A N. I'm assuming like I don't know. There's probably a silent letter in there. A socon, <laughs> something I don't know. It's probably a sockton. Yeah, I don't. It, it depends on what the culture of Polis is based on, and I'm not sure. It's, it's kind of like last episode we realized that a bunch of the Kauth stuff is probably a French pronunciation, and I haven't been we hadn't been pronouncing it French. <laughs> right. <laughs> the same brutally one-sided battles played out across all of Kauth, from the Sataric wilds to the cities of the Orinsen. Ultramarines overwhelmed and overrun by those they had expected to stand alongside them. Their blood used to paint the ground even as their bodies were raised as grotesque trophies. The orbital defense system of Kalth, those hundreds of space-borne weapon stations we talked about in the last episode, each bristled with weapons intended to cripple Voidcraft of an attack, instead rained death down upon the planet under the command of the word bearers searing terrible wounds into the world's surface annihilating any force of ultramarines gathered in the open and leaving entire cities as burning ruins their inhabitants nothing more than charred husks yet not all of the battles fought in those few hours on kalth were to the word bearers advantage by luck or some quirk of organization some loyalists were not caught off guard by the word bearers treachery in the coastal bunker network of Silator Privance, the word bearers were halted by a cohort of battle automaton from the Legio Cybernetica Menagium. Severed from the direct control of their Mechanicum overseers by the dump shock that afflicted many of the Magoses in the wake of the orbital grid's destruction, the battle automaton fell back on core logic of their Cybernetica cortexes and responded to any potential threat with deadly force. In the wake of their rampage, the Solar Auxilia, the 14th, Grenahide Heavy Infantry secured the bunker complex and dug in. In the far north, along the icy shores of Thracia, Thracias, Thracias. I was thinking of Thracian from. Um, yeah, right. That's exactly where Thracius. my brain went. In the far north, along the icy shores of Thracias, near the remote location chosen by Erebus for his runestorm ritual, a large force of Galvorbach butchered their way through the isolated towns of the region. It's assumed many of these. Calthaeans were captured for use in bizarre rituals undertaken by Erebus and others in the word bearers command echelons. So this is one of those cases where they're not really sure what happened to these people. They're just assuming that they were part of these rituals. Oh, the I'm obsession sure they of were. the 17th Legion. Yeah. The obsession of the 17th Legion and the pursuit of seemingly meaningless religious rites over more practical concerns led to several setbacks during the fight on Calth. In the Thracian wilderness, this obsession contributed to the word bearers' failure to engage the 2,000 destroyers of the Ultramarines' 22nd chapter, which was mustering in the region. Unlike other Legionus Astartes units, many of whom reacted with shock and some dismay at the appearance of the Galvorbach, which they delighted in exploiting, when the Galvorbach would show up, the Marines on the other side would be like, what the fuck is that? And the Galvorbach would be like, excellent, according to plan. It's like shock troops. Yeah. The veterans of the 22nd chapter were accustomed to confronting hideous and malignant Xeno species. These dudes were used to it. The officer cadre of the 22nd chapter, cut off from any other ultramarines, assumed that the word bearers had been overtaken by some form of Xeno's contamination. Facing this assumed threat, one capable of controlling the potent physical forms of a Legionos Astartes, the 22nd used the most potent weaponry at their disposal. The fighting in Thracius swiftly became a hell of phosphorex and rad storms 
as destroyers and Galvorbak clashed in their bitter, unremitting combat. And I know we've mentioned destroyers in the past. Destroyers oh, were they're brutal. Yeah, they were the ones that like if the Marines couldn't take a city or a world, they would send the destroyers down because the destroyers basically use like old school nuclear weapons and they just fucking they literally destroy the yeah. world that's their job destroyers like a like a ship no, no, oh, destroy it's, they, it's they their, were marines. Their weapons their their weapons yeah. oh. there's, there's another book where it's talking about the uh the world eaters destroyers it's like their white armor's black just from all the radiation and all the the how horrible their Certain weapons stuff. are yeah so destroyers were a unit of almost like heresies of yeah of her essentially of heresy era troops that used phosphorex weapons and like tactical like rocket propelled nukes essentially like think hmm. of like the nuclear weapons from starship troopers right they were the dudes that used that sort of shit and like radiation weapons you're saying phosphorex is that that's what that is it's like a Pho radiation weapon phosphorex is like super crazy phosphor based flamethrower like think of phosphorus grenades like oh, okay in okay real world but but it's a flame so they would thrower. use phosphor x yeah essentially like phosphor x napalm flamethrowers hmm. and then they would use like tactical nuke grenades shoulder long launched nukes all that sort of they were literally the dudes like even other space marines were afraid of these guys because of the way that they fought war and the way that they fought war was Oh, we don't need your planet. We'll just fucking melt your entire planet down. We'll turn your planet into an irradiated wasteland, and we'll come back 200 years from now, and it's fine. It's like the guy that clears the rooms with the saw. He just goes in and just starts pulling the trigger. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They just go in, pull the trigger, and they're like, oh, it's clear. <laughs> Room's clear. Looks it's clear. Like how, it's like how Tom clears uh, submarines with a rocket launcher. <laughs> 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 Call back to last episode. At Bartor, the captains of the 111th and 112th Ultramarines companies consolidated their commands with the local Imperial Army and Mechanicus forces and pulled back eastward into the Sharid province. Had they done nothing, they would have been killed by the heavy debris falling from orbit following the word bearer's destruction of the orbital installations overhead. So this is one of these were some of the guys that were like, there's too much shit falling from the sky. We need to get the fuck out of here. Captain Ferostrex, I don't even know how you would pronounce that in a French way. 40K. Just keep going. Captain Ferostrex of the 112th. Do you know what it is, though? Is it not uh, Ferostrex? No. I have no fucking... I, be, I can barely speak common, so... <laughs> Captain Ferostrex of the 112th decided that he would meet the word bearer's vanguard to determine what terrible accident had occurred in orbit while Captain... Ecaretus of the 111th would lead both ultramarine companies into the Shroud. Taking only his honor guard with him, Phosphoretrex, fuck me, Atrex. Fucking Nosferatu. <laughs> Phosphoretrex moved down the slope to the floodplains where the local forces of the 17th Legion had arrived on planet. To his surprise, the traitors had their tanks and their Astartes formed up as if to begin an assault. As Ferostrex raised his hand in greeting to his fellow Astartes, the word bearers opened fire. Ferostrex and his men were massacred by the word bearers before they could even comprehend such an act of base treachery. Captain Ecridus witnessed the massacre and was eager. Fuck you. <laughs> it's got to be fast. It, it's the only thing I can think. All of these names are supposed to be fast. 
Catanacritus witnessed the massacre and was eager to visit his vengeance upon the traitors, but was restrained from rushing to his doom by his battle brothers. Then, again without warning, the word bearers' traitor titans began to open fire on their position. The shattered remnants of the 111th and 112th companies retreated into the burning woods of the forest located east of the Boros to escape the traitors' assault. The word bearers' legion had taken on the new crimson color scheme chosen in place of their original steel gray colors, which the ultramarines took to calling traitors red. They also adorned themselves in iconography of their new faith in chaos, which was only further evidence of their continued corruption. As the word bearers, Achilles and Proteus pattern land raiders led their attack upon the loyalist forces retreating before them, Captain Ecritus managed to find a position above the tree line, a view that showed him the vast hosts of word bearers and their auxiliaries assaulting the Calthaean towns along the river and ports of the Boros. The Boros is a river. Tens of thousands of chaos cultists, battle groups of chaos titans, and endless phalanxes of crimson armored chaos space marines joined the fight. Ecritus watched in horror as the treacherous 17th legion assault swept aside everything in its path. Bodies were left everywhere in the wake of the word bearers' remorseless advance against their unsuspecting victims. Civilians, troops of the Imperial Army, and far too many ultramarines. Many lay dead with weapons still sheathed or covered, cut down without the opportunity to even face their deaths. Ultramarine corpses lined the roadways and arterials. Some had been stacked against fences and walls like firewood, and others had been cut open and emptied. A few had been nailed to posts or against the side of buildings. Some appeared to have been butchered and eaten. This wasn't war, but desecration, defying and shaming the codes and precepts of all the Legionos Astartes. Traditions that had been sent down by the Emperor himself, the word bearers perverted, even as they spat on the basic moral code of mankind. So it was a little fucked up. Yeah. So roadways and arterials just in case uh arterials again are like riverways and stuff like that so this is very similar to like uh ishvan five where like the world eaters and stuff were like jacking up all the uh salamanders raven guard and yeah but uh, think but it's now happening on a world that looks like the ideal paradise place to live like like the ideal like think of like the the um the nice sunny pictures of the united kingdom like countryside that's right. where this is happening and they're just throwing them around all over the place just they're killing them in such numbers that to remove them from the streets so their tanks can get through they're stacking them like corkwood against the fences that's crazy yeah. or they're desecrating them butchering them opening eating up them. their armor taking parts of their bodies out eating them considering these are like the uh the poster children of games workshop pretty crazy that they uh made it that brutal this is their like like this is their this is how i guess kind of their origin story if you want to think of it this this is the ultramarines this is what happens that makes the ultramarines who the ultramarines are in 40k 40K. that's what i was saying like uptight and whatnot very close to close to home very tight to you know rules and regulations and really think of like as we're describing Calth and as we're talking about these roadways and these massive arterials, the arteries, essentially, think of the word artery, arterial, that like transport goods back and forth. Think of all of those like picturesque Roman countrysides from movies like The Gladiator or shows like Spartacus 
or anything that's in that sword and sorcery, the, the movie 300, all of those overhead scenes of just like these beautiful golden wheat fields with these really nice, pretty hedgerows and like green grass and little tiny, nice river that you could drive a barge along. This is the area. This is what Calf looks like. This is the area that's being desecrated and destroyed to with, paint a picture in your mind. Blue bodies just all over the yeah. place. And the pretty, guys attacking are in essentially like dark red armor. Pretty rough. The difference in the coloration between the word bears and the world eaters is the world eaters have like a blood red, like a fresh blood red armor. Right. And the word bears have more of a like dark crimson, like a drying blood color. Mm. As dusk crept over the capital city of Numenos, it appeared to herald the end of the Ultramarines Legion. In less than 12 hours, almost 100,000 Ultramarines had been slain, and the word bearers controlled almost every major city and strategic target on Kalth. Debris from the near orbit void war continued to rain down on the besieged planet, obliterating vast swaths of the landscape. The collateral damage caused by battles between the Legionus Astartes was catastrophic and led to casualties among civilian population that were beyond nightmarish. Millions upon millions of imperial citizens died in fear and agony in the first few hours, and millions more continued to die as the fighting continued. The world bearers' intent seemed less to persecute the ultramarines and more to cause as much death and destruction as possible. It was not simple bloodlust or madness on the part of Logar's sons, but intended to facilitate some malign psychic ritual on a grand scale. Again, they're not butchering people because they're crazy. They're butchering people as if every life powers. Yeah, powers the rune storm. <laughs> Bizarre aberrant weather patterns, freak typhoons, unnatural auroras, and impenetrable cloud cover racked the planet during the early stages of the conflict. With the death pole mounting, these phenomena became more pronounced and the first instances of manifesting warp entities were recorded. Creatures unknown to the Imperium at large, the subject of long-discredited legends and the ramblings of delusional astropaths and navigators, their appearance only inflamed the abject panic that already gripped the world, even affecting the ranks of the usually stoic Legionus Astartes. These aberrant manifestations followed no sane strategic plan. The word bearers seemed to treat their appearance as a vital goal, rather than their use as some sort of strategic part of a continuing campaign. Most incursions happened in areas where fighting was particularly fierce or the death toll was incredibly high. Places where the resulting rampages, while stunningly brutal, rarely impacted any wider strategic situation. The word bearers had turned the full destructive capability of Kalth's orbital defense platforms, as well as the firepower of their fleet, against the system's sun itself, and the resulting flare and solar radiation was beginning to take its toll on the warriors of Kalth as well. Those not shielded from the sun's glare or protected by the augmented physiology of the Legionus Astartes were soon blistered and burned. Most would succumb to extreme radiation poisoning, with only those enclaves within one of the few shielded structures still held by the loyalists escaping this lingering death sentence but to those survivors this would only be a temporary reprieve so they're shooting the sun yeah yep so after after they blast the surface of the planet they turn their weapons on the sun to essentially attempt to start breaking it down 
like and destabilize this is, it essentially. Yeah. And this only happens after they've done enough damage by shooting the planet that they're able to just conjure warp demons on the fly because there's so much death. Now, <clears throat> is it very like hand in hand for demons just to show up when chaos space Marines are fighting? Or is it just you, kind of like a, it's got to be pretty bad for. It's got to be. There has to be a lot of like ritual and sacrifice. So demons can't exist in the world for very long. But right. Creatures of the immaterium cannot exist in the materium for very long unless they're bound to something, which is why demon engines exist. Demon engines are essentially summoned demons that then have armor bolted onto their bodies. And that's why they're able to stay for longer than most. But like blood letters, for instance, can only exist for a certain amount of time. And the way to do that is to either do a complex ritual or this, this like mass death, but they're creating so much death and they're unleashing so much horror. And they're not just, it's not just death. It's, it's terrorizing. It's incredibly fear filled death. And everything they have has this, as Chuck's pointed out, this stink of ritual to it. Everything they're doing is the purpose of driving a ritual to loosen that barrier between the warp and the material plane. So it's not something that just typically happens, right? Like there's a battle and they're fighting and then demons show up. Like it wouldn't be like death guard or just marching down, killing people. And then you see like nurglings start popping out of the ground and shit. There's gotta be like some type of ritual, ritualistic value to it. Right. Yeah. So when we get to the siege of Terra later, there's, days of the battle in the siege of Terra where demons just haven't the ritual hasn't gotten to a point where demons can be summoned yet the neverborn mm-hmm. just can't manifest yet but once you pass that spot once you get over that hump the death itself just the pure carnage and rage that's being unleashed is like a feedback loop which feeds whichever of the demonic entities are closest to crossing over essentially so you pretty much have to like change the atmosphere almost like it has to be like a a physical it's a physical manifestation of like the atmosphere changing like you said i have all these storms going on all this crazy like ritualistic butchering of the ultramarines and then demons kind of start showing up popping Popping out yeah okay because yeah because they're doing this stuff because they're because they're impaling bodies upon the top of their dreadnoughts because they're doing this stuff that like pays homage to the chaos gods. Our world our word bearers are they they're not corn, right? Are undivided. they undivided? No, word bearers are undivided. Okay. But a lot of the stuff that everybody is really familiar with as far as like trophy racks and all of that, mm-hmm. the word bearers that that's the thing that's weird. So the word bearers were the legion doing all of this first before any other legion. So like yeah, the trophy the, racks of like first, skulls and shit. They're the first heretics. Yeah. They started doing it in the first battles because they knew that it had like some suggestive power. Mm-hmm. The, the word, uh, the world eaters had to learn from them. Everybody had to learn from them. Mm. Like, in a very realistic way. And that's why they're chaos undivided. Cause they're the first followers essentially. Gotcha. And that's why, like you were saying, like they, they were the ones who essentially created the possessed like Marines and whatnot. And, uh, they, they're, they were the initiators. It seems like of a lot of these things. Yes. Yep. They were the first ones to go into the warp. Really? As to where a lot of the other like space Marines, chaos space Marines have some sort of trigger that made them the way they are. 
mm-hmm. that's kind of out of their control. The word bearers specifically embraced all this shit. Mm. Okay. The word bearers sought it out. The world eaters, you can make an argument that it's the butcher's nails that are doing it. It's not them. It's the fact that the butcher's nails exist that drive them to where they are. The word bearers knew, saw, Wanted and then it. chose to take the path towards mm-hmm. darkness, essentially. They didn't need any kind of push. They were already walking toward, walking down that well, path, they were, essentially. They were pushed. They were spanked by dad. Pushed down they, to their knees. They were, they were spanked by dad. So the Grand Cruiser Andromachus survived its unpowered fall through the Kalth's atmosphere from orbit largely intact, only for its blazing bulk to demolish a large swath of the once-teeming city of Calcus Fordley, stripping a patch two and a half kilometers wide, space debris continuing to rain down from the sky all around it, bombarding the city and the surrounding landscape. Little information about what had occurred in orbit was available to the loyalist survivors on the planet's surface. Some major incidents in orbit had led to the raining destruction that smashed into Kalth, but was it an attack or was it some weird accident? With the orbital fleet yards gone and all Vox traffic scrambled, there was no way for the remaining loyalist units on Kalth to communicate with one another or with the Ultramarine Command. Fortunately, though, Magos Tarwin managed to flee the destruction of the watchtower before the large vessel struck the planet's surface. Eventually, her loyalist Skatari forces managed to consolidate with the surviving ultramarines of the 4th Company and their commander, Captain Remus Venatos. Here's good old Remus right here. Venatos faced a vast horde of chaos cultists arrayed against his forces. Backed up by hundreds of thousands of traitor Astartes and the traitor Titan war engines mixed within their ranks, Magos Tarwin suggested seeking refuge at Lepitus Nemunis, the old imperial gubernatorial palace, meaning the governor's palace, on the plains of Kalth, which possessed a non-active but functional data engine, as well as a high-cast Vox transceiver array. This equipment had been meticulously maintained, and since the systems at the palace had been offline when the word bearers began their assault, they might have been spared the scrap code infection an electromagnetic pulse damage that had brought down networked communications all over the world. If the fourth company and its allies could reactivate the data engines at Lepitus Numinus, they might be able to contact what remained of the 13th Legion's fleet in the Viridian system. I swear we're going to get to a like Legion and they're going to be like Rob, who lived in downtown <laughs> Manchester, and I'm going to be really happy. I'm going to be super fucking happy. Doug the Space Marine. Yeah, right. Doug, who lived on 4th Street, even as the 4th Company had been converging on Lepidus Neminis, a large horde of traitor forces commanded by the 17th Legion's commander, Norpal Crix, had already encircled and besieged the palace. The word bearers used their vast hordes of chaos cultists as human fodder, driving them forward as they protected themselves from any significant counterattack. Terrible carnage was inflicted upon the loyalist defenders by packs of horrific demons summoned from the warp as they pushed through any breaks within the defensive line. As the assault grew more fierce, the defenders of Lepitus Neminis prepared to sell their lives dearly, but they were spared from their dark fate by the timely arrival of the 4th Company and its heavy armor support. These reinforcements bolstered the defenders' resolve as they tore into the ranks of the traitors and began to decimate them. Tarwin attempted to reactivate the data engine and establish full communication with the remains of the Loyalist fleet. 
the commander of her Skatari suggested they utilize their dedicated emergency manifold to power the palace's data engines and Vox assembly. So I know that was a little confusing because it seems like the fourth company was in the palace already, but they were attacking the palace. The fourth company drove towards the palace. There were already troops at the palace defending it, essentially. So the Admech, they've always had like a military and whatnot, right? They've always had the Skatari cohorts. Was it not as prominent until like eighth edition that they really started, I guess, adding them to the battles and whatnot? Because I feel like I've never heard about an ad mech army until like some of the recent additions. Yeah. They didn't have a model line until recently, but they've right. been talked about in lore for a while. They're like the support troops. You know, most of the time when you hear about, when you read about the uh, Titans, when right. the Titans are there, the ground forces, if they're a mechanicus loyal are the Skatari. Whereas if it's more Imperial, the ground forces to support them or guard. Gotcha. Okay. So they've always kind of been around. They just weren't really represented physically. Model model wise, yeah. 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 I wanna say the earliest mention of the Skatari. It's gotta be in a no- it's it's probably in a novel. The Skatari were first mentioned in one of the books published in nineteen eighty nine. So they've been around since they've always just been almost. as as Chuck was just saying, yeah. they've always kind of been described as like the ground forces of the Titans. When they didn't have models until late seventh, early eighth. Right. When, when, you know, every, I would say what, every like two or three edition. No, actually, I think almost every edition since fourth, there's a new G-Dub has introduced a new model line, you know, whether or not it's a force that existed at some point that just gets a plastic range or whether or not it's a completely new for, uh, army right and in a lot of cases it's stuff that had metal you know, there were old metal one-offs in first or second edition yeah skatari skatari the novels i think are really cool i know for a fact that like 2004 2005 when the mechanicus book of the horus heresy came out the skatari were talked about a lot and 2004 2005 would have been like fourth edition to get back to this assault on the palace here at limitus niminis the natan that anus <laughs> That's how it's always been too. Like like <laughs> his last name, it's Remus Fatanus, but it looks like Vet Anus. Fatanus Vet Anus. Fatanus a weathered grizzled veteran right there. Right, right. Fatanus knew that although they were strong in spirit and well armed, their forces could not hope to repel the traitors' attacks indefinitely. It was only a matter of hours before the defender's position would be overrun and everyone was slaughtered. Despite the continuing brutality of the word bearer's assault, Tarwin focused on her duties and managed to reactivate the dormant data engine. And then she began to gather a clearer picture of the situation, especially the fully catastrophic scale of their losses, the enormous death toll, the systematic annihilation of the Ultramarine's fleet, and the millions of civilians that had been slain. Entire cities were aflame as burning debris plowed into the surface of Cal from orbit. She was able to help Ventanis establish short-range communication with other besieged Ultramarines units, discovering that his situation was not unique. Ultramarines all across Calth found themselves besieged. None knew what had befallen their Primarch Reboot Gilliman, or even whether or not he and his command structure were still alive. Then, as if by some miracle, Ventanis finally managed to contact Reboot Gilliman, and provide him with a picture of what remained of the Loyalist ground forces on Calth. 
30,000 ultramarines and 200,000 imperial army and mechanicus warriors were still active in the hundreds of scattered pockets of fierce resistance, but they would need to be coordinated to achieve anything. In any other circumstance, Kalth would have been declared lost to the traitors, but the 13th Legion Ultramarines' resolve was fierce and prevented them from giving in to despair. Reboot Gilliman believed that the situation could be salvaged and the word bearers would be made to pay the price for their actions. Considering this is a this is a whole planet, right? That we're talking. Yep. Yeah, with two hundred and thirty thousand. Yeah. Two hundred and thirty thousand bodies is not a lot. Yeah. Loyalists left. Yeah. That is tiny. Well, there's already like what, a hundred thousand at least Marines that were slaughtered. There are a hundred thousand Marines dead and millions upon millions of civilians. And of course, like extrapolate that to the Imperial. Yeah, Army. that's just crazy. That like that number, like it it is extremely small pockets of Marines that are scattered across everywhere. Thirty thousand, like how how many people are in like a state on our world? Yeah, more than thirty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Quite a bit more than thirty thousand. Like, I want to say. I mean, a, Vin, the yeah. fourth company with Ventanis is five thousand Marines, which seems like a lot when you think of like a chapter only being a thousand strong but it's not a lot when he's you're... facing down hundred like like eighty thousand ninety thousand a hundred thousand word bears like it's just yeah, insane it's just crazy to think about so did they ever say how big the legion was ick and i talked about this when we did our um space marine sanguinilla special a legion on the small end was about a hundred thousand plus so it is a specified like you know when they talk about the the companies are are they a thousand strong like that's how I always, that's how i always picture the it. company's size depends on its use okay a company could be several thousand marines depending on how it was like like an armored company might not be that big but a uh, infantry company might be much larger yeah that's what i've always i've always wondered to give you an idea after the battle at gate 42 Horus was still a loyalist. The Raven Guard were pretty heavily cut into. That was the battle where Corvus specifically sent all of 10th Company into, not 10th Company, 18th Company. You're talking about like the Ashen Claws? Yeah, the Ashen Claws. Are they 10th or 18th? I think it was 10th. I think I remember you saying 10th. I'm fact checking myself. Well, while you do that, like I bring that up because when you talk about all the different captains, you know, in a, right. a, other books, it's like Captain the 214th. So I've always pictured, like, if that company is a thousand strong, and you're only mentioning the Captain the 214th, well, that's at least like 214,000 Marines. Unfortunately, they use company and chapter back in the day because, yeah. you know, we didn't want it. We don't, we don't want it to be like extra confusing or anything. So that doesn't necessarily help. It's a lot of Marines, essentially. The Ashen Claws were originally the 18th chapter of the Raven Guard Legion. So after this battle at Gate 42, most of the 18th chapter had been destroyed. And the 18th chapter was the remaining Terran Raven Guard. And they numbered in the like four or 5,000. So after losing most of their forces, they were still four or 5,000 strong. And then they were sent away to the Ghoul Stars. And when that happened, Raven Guard was the smallest chapter in 
in the Imperium with 80,000 Marines. The smallest legion at the height of the Great Crusade was the Raven Guard, and it had 80,000 Marines in it. So that kind of gives you an idea of how big legions are. But we don't really have a solid number. It's all like there were a couple hundred, there were 200,000 of these, there were 300,000 of these. But, you know, you read numbers like 100,000 ultramarines die. There's 20,000 ultramarines left alive here. There's 50,000 left alive in orbit or whatever. You're like, okay, so there were obviously close to 200,000 at one point. <laughs> like you can't lose well, or 150,000 ultramarines if there weren't more than 150,000 ultramarines to begin with. This will really grind Chuck's gears. When they split up after the heresy with the um, Codex Imperialis, there were 32, no, there were 34 first founding ultramarine chapters. So that was at least 34,000 strong. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I know that. Desperate gambit. Victory is a fickle mistress. Failure, a haphazard executioner for those with the courage to persevere will not abide their dictates attributed to tetrarch icos lemiad ultramarines legion from the dedication of the monument defender of bathor magus tarwin managed to discover a kill code that her mentor hest had hidden within a secure data engine at the zedensun farid fleet yard which had been closed off from the rest of Cal's planetary network. This data engine was the manifest cogitator of a cargo handling guild, which was located in a secured bunker in the industrial zone between Nimis Starport and the Lanshire landing grounds. It was responsible for running cargo operations for Nimis and Lashir. The palace is at Limitus Niminis, and Niminis and Lash Landshear are two provinces like next to each other, essentially. So they're at this palace, and when they're at this palace and she reconnects, she finds that this kill code was hidden essentially really close at like the starport right next to where they are. They'll still have to get there, but they're close. While more than powerful enough to manage the data load of the planetary weapons grid, it had been overlooked as a civilian cogitator, not a viable military target. So the word bearers knew that it was there, but it was a civilian cogitator, so there was no reason to care about it. Hest had been able to take advantage of this hole in the word bearer's strategy in the moments before his death. As he suffered from the painful overload of data shock, which was killing him, he cleaned the data engine with his kill code, and then severed it from the broader planetary network. So he hid it there, essentially as his brain was burning out, and then he cut it off from everything else. Ventanus apprised his Primarch of the new developments. While the enemy controlled Cal's planetary defense grid using captured data engines from a surviving orbital platform at the Zetzun Farid Yard, Magus Tarwin would be able to purge the system of the word bearer's scrap cord using this other cogitator. However, she could not access the cargo handling guild's data engine while the word bearers remained in control of the Viridian platform. The ultramarines in orbit would need to gain control of the platform to perform the purge of the planetary weapons grid. So it's got to be like a, a dual action. This is the yeah. military action film where both teams have to coordinate. 
This is the this is the uh, gather your team and uh, we're doing a bank heist, <laughs> right? <laughs> I was trying not to make the third heist because we've mentioned heists in the first two episodes, but yeah, this is the heist moment. Yep. Plans were debated aboard the McCrag's honor by the Ultramarines' commanders, with Shipmaster Hammed recommending range bombardment. The McCrag's honor possessed the needed firepower, and Chapter Master Marius Gage seconded the suggestion. But if they did not make a direct kill of the word bearers holding the platform in their first salvo, there was a real danger that the enemy would retaliate using the planetary defense grid, tearing what was left of the Ultramarine's flagship to bits. Chapter Master Kaylord Empion of the Ninth Chapter suggested bringing the flagship back to full power before throwing off the enemy cruisers surrounding it and heading straight for the orbital platform, ripping it apart at close range and ramming it if necessary. But the moment the massive flagship began to move, it would become a target of the planetary weapons grid again. Chapter Master Gage's alternative plan was then considered. Reroute all of the crippled warships' available power to the teleporter system, then teleport a kill squad of ultramarines directly to the Zentzun Viridian Yard to take control of the orbital platform from within. I like that plan because that's like, we're marines, we can do this. Yeah. And this is like the thing that Marines were made for. In fact, there's a little speech that Roboot gives that I know has been quoted a bunch where it's like, this Marines, this is the job we were created for. And this is the action that that line comes from. Yeah. And the Uh, guy with the red helmet is just seething. He's like, this is, he's like, this is it, huh? I know that thing that I warned you about. Right. The thing that I fucking told you about. I fucking told you guys. You didn't even listen to me. I'm going to yeah, take my told you, man. <laughs> yeah. I told you there were Kim trails oh, no, no, in the sky, was, but he didn't want to believe Robo's me. It was Roboot's idea. <laughs> it was Roboot's idea from the, from the get-go, right? <laughs> Roboot's like, I knew this would happen. This is what we were meant to do. Got the so red helmet's just pissed. We definitely know that Chuck is a huge Imperial Fists guy, and we definitely know that Marky really hates the Ultramarines. <laughs> 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 I think I'm just starting to hate the imperium more and more as i wow about more and more of the imperium's blunders but but i mean also i was never really like a super big imperial guy to begin with Uh, the reason i chose death watch is because i don't like aliens or the idea of like fighting aliens is very fun so like things like the gray knights and like regular Marines, they're just kind of like, you know, eh. Marky heard aliens and thought illegal aliens and was like, I need to sign up. And that's, that's your right. aliens quote for the day. Wow. <laughs> that's right. He says that to uh, Vasquez, right? Yep. Vasquez heard alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anytime, anywhere. Hey, Vasquez, tell me, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No, have you? Have you? So this is, this is the point in time <laughs> then when the, 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 the guy in the red helmet actually asked Gilman, how do I get out of this chicken shit outfit? Yeah, no shit, right? He does. I'm pretty sure he does go on this assault because they mention a sergeant a couple of times, but they don't name him, unfortunately. And I did not have time to go back and read the entire book. So I am going based on Codex book lore. Yeah, I just not, think it's funny having Gilman's reread like, the novel. This is what we we're, this is what we were created for. And the guy in the red helmet's just sitting in the back, like, oh yeah, oh, I fucking yeah? told you. <laughs> this, is, this is what we were created for, huh? This is all this is your your idea the whole time, huh? Good to know. 
Good to know. Stand by, Roboot. Stand by. What was that line that Will Smith says? And like, I really fucking told Keep you so or whatever. No, 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 no. What? An <laughs> iRobot. Oh, or an iRobot. It's like, oh, dude, I don't... man, for a smart person, you're dumb. <laughs> like, he, has a, he, has a, he has a couple of good one-liners in that film. All right. So led by Reboot Gilliman, the first kill squad of 50 Ultramarines assembled at the flagship's teleportation terminal. With the transverse assembly deck of the Zetsun Viridian Fleet Yard as their teleport destination. It was the largest interior space on the orbital platform, making it less likely that imprecision of the teleporter could lead to death. Their target was the yard's master control room, two decks above. The teleport was considered a success, given the atrocious error margins of a teleporter array, and 46 of the 50 kill squad rematerialized along. Gilliman. So losing only four wow. guys, great success. Great. They immediately encountered heavy resistance from the word bearers, but an enraged reboot Gilliman led his sons and the enemy forces broke before his sheer killing fury. Primark killed over a dozen word bearers single-handedly, including the demon-possessed Astartes of the word bearers vaunted Gold Orbach. Another eight ultramarines were lost in the assault before they managed to break through into the master control room. A heavy barrage of bolter fire greeted them as the real fight awaited. Within awaited the 17th Legion's first captain, Corferon, the Black Cardinal, the Master of the Faith, and he ordered his men forward. Before he flew at Gilliman, summoning forth blasphemous energies from the warp to assault the Primarch. Meanwhile, on the beleaguered surface of Kalth, the 4th Company struck out along the Kentar Transit, a main access route that linked the container storage area to the northern facilities of the port at Landshire. Their target was the data engine of the cargo handling guild located in the bunker system below the guild hall. Venitas led the advance across the broken streets in support of a column of land raiders. The word bearers of Stardace rose to block the loyalists' advance. Instead of overwhelming the loyalist forces with well-directed firepower, which may have broken or turned Ventinus's charge, the word bearers simply waited for the inevitable clash of close combat. They relished the prospect of testing the chaos-corrupted blades against the vaunted ultramarines in hand-to-hand -hand combat, wanting to prove themselves against the Astartes who had been held up as models of what it meant to be a space marine. This gets to that thing you were talking about, Marky. They're already kind of that like poster child of what it means to be a perfect space marine, and the word bearers were like, bet. <laughs> throw down let's go the charging ultramarines met the solid line of word bearers with a crash the fighting both brutal and unforgiving neither side asking for granting or giving any quarter reaching the guild hall ventanas leapt the barricades leading an assault forward tearing into the fleeing chaos cultists who shrieked in fear at the prospect of having to face an astardes officer as the ultramarines Moved into the buildings, they continued to be pounded by the 17th Legion's artillery and heavy weapons. They had reached their goal, however. The cogitator was within grasp. I, I wonder just how uh, how much scarier like a space marine captain is compared to like a sergeant. A normal space marine? Probably not that much scarier. Uh, right? Yeah. I mean, like, one, one's wearing a I helmet mean, and the other isn't. So maybe the dude <laughs> not wearing a helmet is scarier because you're like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy like, man that dude's face is fucked up <laughs> i was gonna say that dude's face is fucked <laughs> i think part of it is like 
you know, a, a normal trooper is just in like Mark four or Mark five or Mark six armor. Right. And, and then this guy's sergeant, got like relic armor or something or like yeah, a and, captain. Yeah. And then the sergeant's going to have like slightly better stuff. And then, like you said, the captain is going to have the relic or the artificer armor. And then of course I also imagine like it a big old fucking ax. Yeah. A normal Astartes might have like an oath of moment on him, but like a captain's going to probably have like the skull of some Zeno he killed hanging off of his belt, a couple of oaths of moment attached to his armor, probably a lot of oaths of moment attached to his armor. He's going to have like Chuck's the power axe or whatever. It's probably intimidating. It, it's definitely steps up. Is it the difference between like a guy Superman and a Tyranid and, warrior? And... No. <laughs> I was gonna say like Superman and the Flash, right? Like that that big of a difference, I guess. Or which one's Batman. scarier? And Superman, Superman. Is way scarier than any other. Yeah, any isn't, other superhero. Isn't the Flash also like it doesn't matter? I can just go fast. Yeah, yeah but, but I mean, we saw how that happened with Superman just as fast while flying. Yeah, that's right. well, actually, that's right. faster. That's right. Superman. Well, is I don't know if he's like, faster. Actually, I'm sorry. Take that Superman back. is literally the most powerful character in existence. Well, I'm just like saying, him. like, like scare factor, right? Like, you see the yeah. Flash jump in front of you, and you're like, "Oh shit, the Flash!" But you see Superman jump in front of you, and you shit your pants. It's a little bit different, right? Yeah. I hear <laughs> one, you. you're like, "Okay, maybe <laughs> I can talk my way out of this or something." And the other one's like, "I might die today. I hope he feels <laughs> okay. Like, I hope he had a good morning." One, one ship pulls up, and all the pirates jump from that ship onto the onto the captain's ship, and the captain says, "Fetch me my red shirt." And then the next day, two ships show up, and both crews jump onto the pirate ship, and the captain says, fetch me my red shirt. And the first mate goes, sir, why do you always ask for your red shirt? And the captain goes, so if I get cut, no one can tell that I'm bleeding. And then the, on the third day, 20 ships show up, and all the troops jump onto the pirate ship, and the captain goes, first mate, grab me my brown pants. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Grabs it every the flash jumps in front of you, you're like, I need my red shirt. Superman jumps in front of you, you're like, God, I hope I'm wearing my brown pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean <clears throat> I'm just kind of curious, lore wise, like how much better a captain is. <clears throat> I think it's just the intimidation factor. Like a like, normal Astardace has a bolter and a combat knife. And a captain is going to have like a power he's got ball, like a, like a, a storm, storm altar, altar and a power axe. Him. He's got his helmet yeah. with his pommel on it. I mean, the dude's like decked out. I mean, like, like an ultramarine one, especially. He's going to have more gold, more eagles, more horseshoes on him. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's just he's got baby eagles on his forearm yeah. since, since we know henry cavill and the much vaunted staff at amazon studios are listening to our podcast for inspiration please oh please sure. oh please in one of the early fights that are in the show have a fucking captain pulled down by his cape and have like the whole no capes conversation and start <laughs> working on the fact that every fucking hero has a ridiculous cape in this game well, that's yeah. what's gonna happen it is a little weird. It, can, the two things, we... it's cool. So I like like using the units that have open helmets and have capes. But the two things that make no sense in the 40k universe are dudes not wearing helmets and guys with capes. Like right. neither one of like, those what are you things keeping, track. What are you keeping warm, dude? Yeah, you're, or like you're the, in 
<laughs> temperature regulated power armor. The power pack <laughs> on your back puts out so much heat, it is capable of giving you thrust and low gravity. How the fuck is your cape surviving? Like, how not is your cape just not burnt? That's because Okay, you want to know why? You want to know it's, why? It's Sarah Fabric. He's got the cape. He's got the cape, and it's got the exhaust going, so the captain is always in a hero pose when he's just standing there. Right, his cape's always flowing, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's always in a, he's always in the blade three-point landing, no matter what. Yep, always. <laughs> That's how he gets around. Yeah. That's so fucking Deadpool. He starts slapping. He's they're gonna do a superhero landing. They're gonna do a superhero landing. <laughs> That's the captain. Oh my god! It's like a oh, what is it? A Mega Mind, right? Where it's like, yeah. what's the difference between a a villain and a super villain? And he's just like presentation, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's the difference between a captain and a space and a normal space marine. It's like presentation. presentation. Yeah. 90% attitude, 5% equipment. <laughs> yeah. Can we, uh, for 3 6 or $9, can we talk about these dice on screen, by the way, and how just obnoxious they are? Yeah, all the specialty games have really obnoxious dice sometimes. I don't know if this is a specialty game. I think this, this is, is... This is the Battle of Kalf. I think the, the, those look like D6s, man. Yeah, but if you look at the game board, it's all hexes. This is specifically one of the, like, like sold at target sold at whatever pre-done games okay so those aren't like Ugh. d6s with like pips on them that no, no, that no, no just no, look no. funky right because if you look at if you look at one of the dice in the background you see that there's three pips on two sides yeah oh yeah, okay so, yeah, yeah yeah they're like they're, it's like um it's like uh uh fantasy flight games with like x-wing where you've got like three critical failures two failures and yeah, one success these are like on a specialty die. dice like blood yeah, Bowl these are something. specialty i got gotcha. you yeah. yeah i was like dude i was like there's three pips there's like five pips i don't know what the skull one is like is that is that a six is that a the old dice that came in like battle master and everything the skull was the six so you would have normal right. pips on all sides and then there was the literally that skull the skull in the like circle was the yeah. six and i love those dice when i can find and they're wood oh when i can nice. find those i'll try to grab them as magos tarwin concentrated on gaining access to cal's planetary defense system the loyalists fate took a turn for the worse the forces of word bearers commander old Bilal descended upon the guild hall with a vengeance coming to punish the hated ultramarines with a force of traitor titans the word bearers Terminator armored cataphracty and the dreaded demon possessed Astartes of the Gull Vorbach. Traitor Titans unleashed fire upon the guild hall, and its very foundations began to shake with a constant pounding. Tarwin's progress was slow as the Magos attempted to establish her cybernetic neural connection with the server, and the situation outside was rapidly deteriorating as armored columns in service to the word bearers moved into position and began to fire at the Loyalists with a hail of shells and laser fire. Two traitor Reaver-class titans approached at full stride, intent on annihilating the servants of the Emperor. The majority of his allied commanders already dead, Ventanus knew that his company line was all but broken. The Ultramarines of the 4th Company had done all they could do, for they could not stand against the overwhelming strength of Hull Beloth's defense. Weapons fire intensified as the Titans continued to pound the guild hall. Tarwin finally managed to upload a kill code into the Kals network so that she could prepare to purge the planetary data system and wrest control back from, of the defense grid. But they still needed Reboot's kill squad in the void to gain control from the enemy. 
Otherwise, there was nothing she could do to aid the shrinking forces of loyalists on the surface. As the Titans moved closer to the guild hall, the last shadow sword accompanying the fourth company fired and damaged one of the striding giants. But a pair of Titans returned fire in unison, destroying the super heavy tank and a vast clonk formation of Titan grade weapon fire. I can't imagine being a tank and being hit by all of the firepower of two Titans. That seems a little bit overkill. Yeah, the shadow sword got fucked. Yeah. Ventanus knew that their attempt had all but been for naught. The traitors of the 17th Legion had won the Battle of Cal. Can we be real? Like, the Reaver-class Titan is probably the worst-looking Titan. Yeah, it's kind of goofy-looking. Like Honestly, to tell you the truth, the only Titans I think look cool are the Warhounds. The rest of them all look goofy to me. Really? Really? Yeah. I don't like... They don't look... Ergon, they don't look like they would ergonomic, ergonomically function. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. I, I love mean, warhounds. I don't look like I, I really would. like warlords. War, yeah. Warhounds and warlord, warlords are probably my two two favorite because warlords are essentially just like a big ass imperial knight, right? Yeah. And then warhound, you have the imperator. What's that? The warhound looks like the one that would fun like engineering wise. It, it looks would like a hunched over. Best. Yeah, it looks like yeah. a hunched over Reaver Titan. I feel. Yeah, I love Warhounds. Um, same here. Warhounds are definitely my my favorite Titan of of them. But Imperator just look ridiculous. But they're don't get me wrong, they're awesome. But they look ridiculous. Reavers just look goofy. And uh, throughout the other one, there's like a War Warbringer. That, yeah, there's like goofy. six classes, I think. And then yeah. there's the the Emperor Titan. And then there's the one off, the Daedalus. There's some, there's some interesting ones. Yeah, yeah. The Titans have always kind of looked goofy to me. I think another part of it, though, is that I have been around the hobby long enough that I've seen Titans in person, and they look really goofy in person. And I think a lot of it is because think of all the detail that's on your normal model, and then make <sighs> the model like ten times bigger, but don't like, add uh... ten times detail. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like the detail doesn't scale. <laughs> like this Space Marine has 17 rivets on it. This Titan has 17 rivets on it. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> like the Titans are a little too smooth. So I know yeah, they've so, gotten I know so they've fact, gotten better. I know they've so gotten better. It goes back to the previous question. What's more intimidating, Marky? A Space Marine captain or a Reaver Titan? A Reaver Titan. <laughs> Like, I mean, the Reaver Titan's gun barrel is big enough to swallow a fucking tank, okay? Like, the captain definitely has the presentation down. <laughs> See? See? It's the cape. It's but, the cape. But the Reaver has sheer size, so it's a little different. Okay, so hold on, Marky. Right? Like, the Hulk and Superman. A captain, a captain without a cape. No presentation garbage. Okay, okay, it's done. <laughs> so, like, think, think about it. Think about it. You put the Hulk. And Superman in front of you, right? Comparable strength. You're probably no. more scared of the Hulk because he's a little bit bigger. Comparable. Nah. You, I you, know you still think Superman's more? No. I, I gut, gut reaction. Gut reaction. The, the Hulk makes me pee. Makes me pee myself and run. <laughs> yeah. Superman is like, why are you wearing spandex, bro? And then I'm dead. Even if you know them, right there. Yeah, but like, even if you know them, you know the Hulk might not have he, he's gonna fuck you up superman yeah, the Hulk's gonna hurt more <laughs> hulk might hulk will probably kill you superman won't so it's like even then if you know him hulk still is kind of you know well, just both, because he's bigger 
if both of them are trying to kill me, the Hulk is going to hurt. I'm not going to feel <laughs> Superman kill me. Like, I'm going to be dead so fast to Superman, it's not going to register in my brain. You know, like laser eyes, super strength, whatever. Depends Superman much he is, wants is it just hurt, over. Right? I guess that's true. I guess that's true. The Hulk is always going to hurt because the Hulk yeah. likes toying with people. Well, yeah, at least ragdolling certain people. The shit out of you. So, yeah, it looks like there's, I guess, six classes of Titans. It's a uh, Questorus Knights, like Imperial Knights. <clears throat> the Warhounds, Reavers, War, Warbringer, I think is what yeah, that war, is. Warbringer. Uh, Warlord and Warmaster, which is that one with like the six pack. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of weird ones. There's, there's a bunch of like, Yeah. There's one offs. And then there's, yeah, there's the yeah, ones like the that Psyker are from Titan like, or whatever. Yeah. And there's the ones that are from like before the Dark Age. Ah, are still god, around the god pattern the god titan. engines yeah that are like legitimately artificial intelligence <laughs> like they have their own intelligence and they don't like working with people <laughs> Oof. titans are crazy titans are going to be fun to talk about too yeah all right so back from the brink High above Kalth in the master control room of the zensen viridian fleet yard reboot gilliman confronted corferon the word bearer's first captain called on the sorceress abilities granted to him by the chaos gods and slammed the primarch of the 13th legion against the chamber wall with a column of wretched living darkness that burst forth from the palm of his right hand. Shaken, Gilliman regained his feet and charged, only to be slammed back into the bulkhead a second time by another powerful dark beam of eldritch power. Gilliman attempted once more to stand, staggered, and then fell. The force of the Black Cardinal's blow had been so vicious that it had cracked the Primarch's ceramite breastplate. Gilliman coughed up blood, attempting again in vain to stand, only for Corferon to blast him once more, this time with a strange negative electric charge that caused Gilliman to seize as if he had been caught in a violent fit. Driven to his hands and knees, his whole form shuddering, his head bowed. Corferon then approached, drawing a chaos dagger one of the anathame, and stepped forward, the Primarch's fate now firmly in his hands. He could end the life of a great Primarch, or, just as the word-bearer's first chaplain, Erebus, had turned the War Master to the service of the Dark Gods on Davin's moon, so too could Corferon achieve the impossible and bring another Primarch over to the service of Chaos. One cut of the Chaos-corrupted blade would damage Gilliman's sanity, allowing Corferon to take advantage of his weakened state and slowly degrade what had kept him loyal to the false emperor. It would be a fitting revenge for the Ultramarine's actions on Kerr. To return to the court of Logar and the Horus with Rebut Gilliman as a willing, pliant ally in the Great Betrayal. The vile word-bearer stepped forward and put the blade of the anathame to Gilliman's throat. The Primarch grunted through clenched teeth as the foul blade bit. Corferon attempting to cajole Gilliman into giving up and joining the blessed cause of the dark gods against the false emperor. But Gilliman only muttered in reply, every single word an effort. He explained that Corferon had made a grave error. Having chosen to toy with the Primarch rather than to just kill him, the arrogant word bearer merely smiled, confident in his inevitable triumph, and then Gilliman made Corferon pay for his hubris. Though its energy field had long since shorted out and failed, Gilliman buried his armored power fist in the Black Cardinal's chest and ripped out one of his black beating hearts. 
As one of the ultramarine sergeants rushed to the wounded Primarch's aid, Gilliman ordered the sergeant to forget about him and kill the planetary data network. The sergeant, out of ammunition, brought his power sword down into it, ending it with a shower of sparks and electrical fire. I'm pretty sure this sergeant is Thiel, by the way. Yeah, I think I, so, I, I couldn't think you're confirm, right. but I'm pretty sure it's Thiel. So uh, Gilman just straight up kung fu ripped out this dude's heart. He Kali mod his heart out. Yeah. Yep. That's, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, baby. That's uh, pretty gnarly, not going to lie. Yeah. Just ripping through another Primarch's power armor. Well, Corferon's not a Primarch. Corferon's just a dude in Terminator armor. He's just a oh, he's just oh, a star He basically not, took not his Lovar. power fist that has no power and punched straight through fucking Terminator armor and ripped out a heart. See straight through your armor. And it and the way that the entire like sequence is written, Corferon had him dead to rights. All he had yeah. to do is kill him, and it all, all would have been him. over. Kalth would have fallen. The Ultramarines would have died. Another entire legion would have been erased. But. Corferon like, had to toy with him. He had to. He had to be a cat. Typical villain. Typical Bond villain. Mon- monologuing. Yeah. Monologuing again. Those <laughs> <laughs> are the villains' guidelines. If I ever find, my, find myself on the roof of a train and the hero ducks, I will not turn around to see why. I will just duck as well. Yeah. yeah. On Cal's surface, the Fourth Company faced down their doom, defiant to the very end. The bunker three hundred meters below the Gill Hall trembled as it was continuously struck by devastating salvos of enemy fire. Suddenly, Magos Tarwin informed her Ultramarines ally that their circumstances had drastically changed. Two Loyalist Titans had vectored into the fight. One of them had already made a kill against one of the Wordbearer Traitor Titans. Reinforcements dropped in to supplement the beleaguered 4th Company, coming from the Landshear Belt in the east, fast and mobile. One of the four governing Ultramarine Tetrarchs of Ultramar, Echos Laminid, the Primarch's champion led a ragged host of Imperial soldiers collected from the desert and burning hills around a hollow Fusicon. That's just a made up fucking word, dude. They're all made up words. <laughs> Every my word favorite, is made up, but, but my this favorite is... one so far is the four ultra governing ultramarine tetrarchs of Ultramar, Echios Ultramarnamarnarna. It should have just been more ultras. Just throw more ultras in there, boys. That works. Uh. <laughs> A column of ultramarine. <laughs> I'm getting. I'm really mad at all the ultramarine names. That I think they've pissed me off more than anything else. Definitely, most definitely. A column of ultramarine land raiders and other armor in support of three titans, two reavers, and a massive warlord class titan also arrived. His infantry force, which followed, was mostly made up of ultramarines and Skatari and was moving rapidly. Elements elements from the Bar Tor and Sharud muster. Some 20,000 Imperial Army troops streamed in as well, bringing their lighter armored vehicles and support weapons to bear. The relief force formed into two prongs for an assault. One was Legion forces led by Sergeant Ancanis of the 112th Company and Captain Anoth of the 19th Company. The other prong was the Imperial Army troops that had been commanded by Colonel Bartol of the 41st Nenride Regiment, but was now under the direct command of Echios Lamined, and a lumbering ultramarine's contemptor pattern dreadnought. Whole Beloth's traitor forces flinched at the unbridled forces of the Loyalists' coordinated assault. Beloth, not believing that the shattered survivors of the 13th Legion would be able to organize an effective response. The assembled survivors of the Kalth atrocity soon expressed their fury and vengeance against the traitors of the 17th Legion. 
inflicting massive damage upon the enemy. Then, without warning, the planetary network was suddenly released from the word bearer's control by the events unfolding in orbit at the swift strike of a power sword. Magos Tarwin received the message, control suspended, engine failure, and didn't hesitate to upload the kill code directly into the planetary data system, where it quickly burned through the corrupted numerics of the octet scrap code, allowing her to take full control of Cal's planetary defense grid once more. Tarwin advised her comrades that the fire would be danger close, and then the orbital defense platform spoke, this time at her command. A column of deadly vertical light then struck the city zone around the guild hall in the northern depot area of Landshire, and the orbital platforms unleashed a tactical nuclear strike against the traitors. Traitor Titans, armored vehicles, Chaos Cult Auxiliary, and word bearer infantry formations became so much ash within only seconds. Yeah. I suppose all it takes is a Magos going, Oh yeah, now I control all the guns. <laughs> Tis mine. <laughs> and and like, hey boys, I'm shooting this at us. <laughs> Just hold your way, asses. <laughs> don't anybody move. The orbital weapon strike had occurred less than half a kilometer from where the Loyalists had taken shelter. Yet the Ultramarines and Imperial Army forces remained untouched, aside from some burst eardrums and radiation burns suffered by some Imperial Army troops. Hot ash plastered the rain-soaked power armor of the Space Marines, spattering them with the remnants of their enemies, making it appear as if they stood in the old livery of the Loyalist 17th Legion. The defense grid now hers, Magos Tarwin next redeployed all elements available to her, hitting other surface targets. Simultaneously, she retasked the orbital platforms and began to systematically exact punishment on the word bearer's fleet. It was now the crimson-hulled warships of the 17th Legion that were annihilated one by one. The dynamic of the entire battle had finally shifted in the Ultramarines' favor. So essentially killing Corpheron was the, the turning point in the battle because destroying, they could destroying the uh data engine in the room that Corferon was protecting was the turning point. Yeah. Getting rid of the but scrap yeah, essentially code. as soon as they removed Corferon from the board. Huh, okay. That's pretty gnarly. It's pretty gnarly. Right. Once they, they they take the guns back and they're able to essentially turn those guns back onto the word bearers, but they're still outnumbered and outgunned well not outgunned anymore now they're just outnumbered not outgunned yeah but that's quickly changing as tarwin is just fucking erasing word bearers off the planet and in space yeah she and she's not there's no reason to really like the word bearers have already done so much damage to the planet that there's no reason to be precise with her shots she's just taking out as many word bearers as she can Hmm. there's no reason to save the field of wheat that's already on fire and covered in blood. I'm just going to blow the entire thing away so I can get rid of the word bearers that are standing there. Yeah. And they're hitting them with like orbital defense weapons. Like are, Lance. That, Lance they're, they're essentially tactical nukes. Yeah. And they were essentially made for shooting ships, uh, essentially like ships coming to the planet, the defend yep. the planet. Yeah. These are all platform. These are all weapons that are designed to shoot at enemy warships. So it's not a it's not as big of a deal when you fire a nuke into an enemy like battle cruiser because then that nuclear explosion happens in space and the nuclear exposure the radiation is localized to what it hit. 
Right. There's no fallout. There's no spread because that's not, you need an atmosphere for that to happen. So, and they already know the planet's essentially lost or will be if they don't take it back. So, yeah, the first couple of layers of the planet's atmosphere, we mentioned it way, way, way up in the top, but the radiation coming off the sun has already started to ir- irrevocably damage the planet. Yeah. So, they know the planet's lost. They're just like, all right, just go to town now. Yeah. It's, just, essentially, it's eliminate just kill, the enemy. Kill troops. Yeah. Kill, kill the enemy. High above. In orbit of Kalth, the remainder of the kill squad retreated, packed tightly around the wounded, limping Primarch Reboot Gilliman. Flames and smoke rapidly filled the orbital habitats of the yard. As they awaited transport from the inbound Ultramarine's flagship, the Primarch looked out one of the orbital platform's viewports and was stricken by what he observed. Their victory had come just in time for them to stare ultimate defeat in the face. And as Astarte saw that while they had regained control of the planetary defense grid, the word bearers had turned their potent weapons upon the Viridian system's sun, destabilizing it. The stricken star cast a baleful shadow as it prepared to go supernova, unleashing a cataclysmic stellar explosion that would wipe out all life upon the surface of Kalth. The Primarch's attention was diverted when he looked below their position and saw half a dozen surviving word bearers carrying the bloody body of Corferon. The wretched first captain of the 17th Legion remained alive. Drawing their bolters, the Ultramarines fired upon the retreating word bearers, just as their forms shimmered and vanished in a cascade of teleporter energy. Gilliman contacted Chapter Master Gage aboard the McCraig's Honor and ordered him to hunt down the infidus Imperator at all costs. He would not let Corferon escape his ultimate fate to plague the Imperium once more. Gilliman's kill squad would secure one of the Ultramarines' vessels docked at Zetsun Viridian Yard. The word bearer's grand cruiser, Infidus Imperator, turned slowly in the debris-rich field of the Calthean near space as the wreckage of countless starships lay dying in flames behind it. It engaged its main thrusters and began a long, hard burn toward the outer reaches of the Viridian system. As it accelerated away, the McCrag's honor turned in pursuit beginning one of the most infamous naval duels in Imperial history. So let me get this right. Gilliman fucked up, too, because yep. Corferon has two hearts, right? So ripping one out through his asshole wasn't enough. Yeah, it's one of those things, like... But, I mean, in, in Gilliman's defense, Corferon fucked up because he had to toy with his food. Gilliman didn't finish the job because Gilliman was, like, f- essentially dying. Yeah. And he's his, like, we need to get the hell out of here. His Primarchness hadn't caught up with the amount of damage Corferon had done to him yet. And he has been like nicked by the Anasame as well, right? Yeah, it nicked his neck. It didn't really do enough damage to like corrupt him the same way that it did to Horus. Yeah. But yeah, but he's also like he spent uh, too much time out in space fighting freaking yeah. word bears sucking air it's through there. It's been a rough day. <laughs> yeah, he their face. He 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 as a Primarch has already been pushed to his, being pushed through his limits. Yeah. But that's what he was like bred the third for. or fourth major thing. Yep. As the remnants of the Ultramarines and the Imperial Army made their exodus to the caverns beneath Kalth to escape the irradiation of the world surface, the Ultramarines twenty first company under the command of Captain Ericon Gaius were dug in at one of the railway tunnels leading to Nimis City. Amid their defense from the attacking word bearers, Nathaniel Garrow, the former battle captain of the Death Guard, arrived on a secret mission given to him by Malkador the Sigilite, the region of Terra, to recruit Tylos Rubio, 
a former coterie of the 13th Legion. At first, Rubio refused to abandon his brothers, but was left with no choice when, in the face of the word bearer's overwhelming assault, he unleashed his dormant psyker abilities, saving his company but making him an outcast for disobeying the dictates of the Council of Nakia. Rubio, left with little choice, then went with Garo in his Stormbird. Rubio would become one of the Sigilites' knight errants and later one of the seven Astraides drawn from both the traitor and loyalist legions who had formed the founding core of what became the secret Grey Knight chapter of Space Marines. So this is one of those, like, this happened during the battle. These are just things that happened during the battle. At the same time that Logar had concentrated his legion's offensive on Kalf, a separate assault by the 17th Legion word bearers hit the Ultramarine's homeworld of McCraig. Using a massive prototype battleship specifically constructed by Horus's allies in the Mechanicum before the start of the heresy known as the Furious Abyss. If it had succeeded in reaching McCraig, the Furious Abyss would have likely annihilated the planet. The remaining two chapters of Ultramarine's Legion's garrison there and the stores of precious Gene Seed and the 17th Legion's fortress monastery, the Fortress of Hera. But the Furious Abyss was intercepted in the void before it reached McCraig by an ad hoc force led by Ultramarine's captain Lymachius Sentis and was destroyed, though it cost every one of the Ultramarine's lives. Is, You're right. All is, these names do suck ass. They do. They really do. They're like Roman and French at the same time. That's is is that the one with the ad hoc force that has the uh it is, isn't it? It has the uh world eater that's with them, has a space wolf that's with them. Is I it, think that, so. that's that not that that one Okay, so I read that novel and the space wolf makes me fucking crack up, man. Because he's like by himself and he's in the space space wolf hall getting drunk. But like when he stops drinking, he like sobers up immediately. Like and that's the thing that like I didn't know it at the time. Like when I read that book, the whole thing about space wolves and their alcohol. So only alcohol that can get Marines drunk. Yeah. So both the battle on the Furious Abyss and the battle between McCraig's honor and the Infidus wreck and the Imperitus and the uh, uh, fuck what the name what the hell is the name of that ship and the Infidus Imperator are like they're their own battles um they're probably not the type of battles that will get a three episode spread but they're definitely the battles that would get like a quarter of an episode on their own so they're a little that's a little much for a us to go into it's a little outside yeah. of the battle of calf they're just the things that spawned just really off of this a cool one and marky for you that you think would probably the you might think is interesting because you love dreadnoughts like that battle ship is full of empty dreadnoughts yep oh no shit yeah they're planning on going and picking up the dead you know dying word bears and throwing them in dreadnoughts huh. yeah so can you be dead dead and put in a dreadnought no you have to still have some form of higher brain function okay but like your body essentially it's just like fucked. although although chaos dreadnoughts are different it's right, right chaos dreadnoughts are kind of horrible those weren't really chaos dreadnoughts. Um, we, we yet. can get into that they wouldn't they weren't yet that's true they weren't yet so the word bearers had used cal's orbital defense platform against cal's sun to destabilize it tearing away the outer layers of the photosphere and pushing it closer to supernova the viridian system star its color changing from bright yellow to an angry blue as its internal composition shifted 
immediately suffered from what is called flare trauma. Shortly after unleashing massive solar flares that irradiated Calth with lethal levels of radiation and stripped away its once dense oxygen-nitrogen atmosphere. The surface of Calth was no longer a safe environment for human habitation or any form of organic life, nor was it possible to evacuate the planet's remaining population in time. Therefore, Captain Ventus sent out a warning over the planetary Vox and data network to all citizens, soldiers of the Imperial Army, Astartes of the 13th Legion, and any other loyal servants of the Imperium, to move with all haste to the subterranean arcology or arcology system closest to them. The arcology systems offered sufficient protection from the remaining inhabitants of Kalth and their defenders to survive the wave of solar death that was about to engulf their world. This message successfully reached many millions of people who successfully took shelter within Kalth's underground warrens, which had originally been built to free up more land for agricultural civil cultivation. So they had essentially started to prepare the world to become a full agri-world. Everybody would move underground, the surface would just raise food. It would take several Terran years for the remnants of the Ultramarines fleet to return to the Viridian system after the Loyalist survivors rode out the storm. Unfortunately, the forces of chaos left on the planet also fled underground as well. Ventanus vowed that the Ultramarines and their allied Loyalist forces would continue to fight until every last traitor on Kalth was exterminated. Thus began the phase of the conflict that would be remembered as the Underworld War. Yet, despite the Loyalists' last-minute victory and the survival of the Ultramarines Legion and its Primarch, the forces of Chaos can consider their assault on Kalth a success. The 13th Legion had been badly crippled and no longer represented a viable threat to Horus' plan to drive on Terra. Erebus had managed to complete his blasphemous ritual on Kalth's surface, which summoned a ruined storm to the galaxy's eastern fringe. This was a monstrous warp stone, larger and more destructive than anything space-faring humanity had witnessed since the days of the Age of Strife. It would split the void asunder, dividing the galaxy in two and rendering vast tracts of the Imperium impassable for centuries. The ruined storm would also isolate and trap those loyalist forces caught behind it like the Ultramarines, preventing them from coordinating their efforts and supporting one another as the traitor legions moved toward Terra. It would even prevent them from warning each other for a time of the War Master's betrayal and the civil war that had begun to consume the Imperium. The ruined storm would leave Terra alone in the void, infinitely vulnerable to the approaching shadow of Horus. Some of the warships destroyed during the Kalth atrocity would continue to circle the tortured Viridian star for over 10,000 years as frozen wrecks. They served as silent tombs for the dead, eternal funeral monuments to the greatest betrayal in human history. The Ultramarines learned another hard lesson at Kalth. The Kalth atrocity represented the Loyalist Astartes' first sustained experience with fighting the warp entities later known as demons in real space. The Ultramarines realized that their decision to accept the anti-Psyker dictates of the Council of Nikea had led to their voluntary surrender of the one weapon that might have proved the most potent against the horrors of the warp. It was almost as if the traitors had known that what was coming and had orchestrated events so that the Imperium would voluntarily cast aside the only practical weapon it possessed against the sorceries of the warp, just before it was needed most. After the Ultramarines' experience at Kalth, Reboot Gilliman sought to petition the Emperor to revoke the Edicts of Nikea and the reinstatement of the Corps of Librarian within the Loyalist Space Marine Legions. When the Horus Heresy ended and Reboot Gilliman initiated the second founding and the reformation of the Imperium as its first Lord Commander, 
he would get his wish, and the Imperium would once more make use of the psychic powers against the forces of chaos, despite its inherent dangers. But my thing is, it's it's funny. One librarian did his thing. He gets to go on to go go hang out with Maldacor. Like he's well, he was recruited. It- I know, but that's the thing. I think it's like neat in the story. It's like he's like, oh yeah, fuck it. I'm saving my battle brothers, and then they show up. They already made the decision to go get him. That's fucking badass. So Garo shows up and fights with them for a bit and is basically like, I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you turn the tide in this battle so you can come with me because we need you elsewhere. And Rubio's like, I can't leave my boys, bro. Can't do it. And, and Garo's like, but dog, them fish tacos. Because, you know, Rubio's fish tacos. <laughs> uh, and then... <laughs> and then shit gets too hard to handle and Rubio has to use his psychic powers and turns the battle, but pretty much everybody is disgusted with him. And yeah. at that point, Garo's like, come on, dude, let's go. And Rubio's like, yeah, we should probably, we should probably dip. So not like, only I'm did, not, I'm not the best, no, I'm not the best liked right now, dog. So not only did Rubio do nothing, but Magnus as well. <laughs> uh, that's That's kind of what I got out of that. Yeah, yeah, Rubio did nothing wrong. I like no, that. I don't know about Magnus. <laughs> the Martyrs of Kalf. In the aftermath of the fighting on Kalf, it was all but impossible to form an accurate picture of the losses incurred with the surface of the planet rendered all but uninhabitable by the actions of Corferon. It has since proved impractical to recover many of the fallen or verify the deaths of those who came to Kalf with treachery at their hearts. The Ultramarines recorded their casualties at the moment when Gilliman and the remains of the 13th Legion fleet departed for Kalth at 119,422 Astardes fallen in combat, with a further 28,392 rendered combat incapable by battle injuries and trauma. Few of the chapters committed to Kalth could muster even a quarter of their normal strength and some were so decimated that they faced being reorganized into other chapters and their old designations removed from the 13th Legion's order of battle. Most of the injured were evacuated to the surviving craft of the fleet and swiftly returned to the combat duties in the crisis that was unfolding across Ultramar, a crisis that forced Gilliman to order the prioritization of military assets over the standard civilians in the brief evacuation effort. Almost 40,000 Ultramarines, both wounded and combat-ready, were forced to remain at Kalth. Some, as volunteers, set to the protection of those civilians who could not be evacuated and others due to the brutal dictates of circumstance. Of the forces of the Exterus Imperialis, details are more vague, but it seems likely that at least half a million troops under arms perished during the fighting, alongside the entire fighting complement of the Legio Persigius? Sure. Persigius? Perpegasus. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, Perpegasus. Alongside the entire fighting complement of Legio Persagius. Of the word bearers who landed on the surface of Kalf, almost none would ever leave. It is estimated that 50,000 or more of Logar's sons and an uncounted mass of renegade exilia troops were sacrificed in the battle, although only 20,000 are thought to have died in the initial fighting with the remainder prosecuting the underworld war on Kalth for over a solar decade after the initial battle ended. Just as bitter to the Ultramarines Legion was the damage that had been inflicted on its fleet assets. Never renowned for the number of heavy combat voidcraft in its service, the losses suffered at Kalth were crippling and hamstrung any effort to persecute interstellar war beyond the bounds of Ultramar. 
In their desperation, the Ultramarines scrubbed several missions to salvage the Hulks drifting in orbit above Kalth, quickly organizing them despite the death toll such missions exacted because of the deadly radiation of the destabilized Viridian star. And that is where we will leave the events happening in the Ultramar system for the time being, as far as the Horus Heresy is concerned. So they got, they got fucked up. They got fucked up real bad. They got, they got pretty heavily pounded. Pounded was a word I used a lot in these three episodes. <laughs> yeah, it is. To not as much snickering from Marky as I thought would happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. What, what do you think, Sometimes you got to take a pounding. Right. What do you think? Uh, it's, it's crazy to me that they were able to, well, I mean, I haven't heard the actual Horus Heresy portion of this yet. Everyone knows me. I'm not the, I'm not exactly the big lore guy here, but, uh, 30K is where the least of my knowledge lies. So I'm curious as to how they were able to hold off chaos forces on Terra when so many of the, uh, faithful legions were so torn up. Got tore up. Ultramarine, Salamanders, Raven Can I answer that for you? Nope, nope. We're going to wait. We're going to wait till we get to Terra, the Siege of Terra. Sorry. It, oh, I know it's, why. It's, it's bad. The darkness on the horizon is bad. It's definitely. It's bad. some boys. It's some boys in that beautiful yellow armor. That's oh, really, yeah, that's true. That's true. It's white really and not. white. It's the, white, it's the yellow and white armor, really baby. not. <laughs> Ryan's going to shit on your. It's really not though. The the bat the siege of Terra does not go well. Yeah, for, uh, and yeah, a I lot know. of it out of out of Dorn's mouth. A lot of the reason is because Gilliman is not able to help them. A lot of it is they're just fucking hoping that Gilliman and the Ultramarines arrive. They're like, where the fuck are they? If they don't show up, we're fucked. He's that's, building his own a, empire. Well, I mean, uh, he's fixing his own shit. And the rune storm cuts off. Yeah, like that's yeah it. I know. I mean, I, I'm totally, I'm totally with Chuck because I like shitting on the Ultramarines. <laughs> but from a lore perspective, the rune storm cuts off Ultramar, and Ultramar is like actively being fucked over by the by Horus right now um, on all ends. So Gilliman essentially he's got almost none of his legion left. I mean, he lost a hundred and nine. 1000 troops 120,000 troops essentially so say on the upside there were 200,000 ultramarines I think there, there was are more. now yeah maybe 250,000 ultramarines it's hard to tell but they lost like half their dudes essentially between outright deaths and casualties they lost like half their dudes and then there's another 50,000 that just couldn't leave Calf. I'm sorry, 40,000 that just couldn't leave Calf because of the underworld war against the, the um, 50,000 or so word bearers that were still there. And just like the fact that like they couldn't fucking leave the, there's not enough ships in orbit to take them off the planet. Yeah, that's crazy. It's a heavy situation. And it definitely paints a picture as to why Ultramar, the realms of Ultramar became what they are. Yeah. And, the, and in that book too, Marky, what's cool is, uh, like the last chapter, it starts to describe how uh, there's there's all of a sudden Ultramarines fighting salamanders. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Well, Gilman is having Ultramarines dress as different chapters and use those chapters' tactics, training 
get this training yeah, his ultimates guys how to fight every chapter there is because he has no clue who's loyal and who's not yeah 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 that's the other thing you know horus ordered him and logar to Kalt's system and he met with them and then the word bearers turn on him so as far as gilliman at this point is concerned everyone is against him because they can't contact anybody they're cut off and it takes it takes events for that to be reversed and and marky you're right that is a tale for another time (laughs) (laughs) if you would like to get into contact with us about any of the episodes or the show itself you can reach us by email at under the hive of madness at gmail.com also feel free to join our community on discord not only there can you talk about all things lore hobby tactics of 40k you can also get involved in other things such as warhammer age of sigmar magic the gathering rpgs video games and much more find us on facebook instagram or at our website under the hive of madness.com spelling and links should be in the show notes below help the podcast grow by liking and reviewing us wherever you get your podcast fix our home is on spotify but you can also find us on apple google audible and many more you can also support us over on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash under the hive of madness. All Patreon members get access to a video podcast with minimal editing. Not only can you see all of our beautiful faces, you can also hear all of our amazing blunders. All Patreon levels also get access to our quarterly painting contest. Plus, we have perks at higher levels such as monthly giveaways. So go on over and check that out. Frank's Ruck-A-Truck, the roaming feast that brings flavor to the post-apocalyptic streets. Are you looking to unlock bold new tastes? You can finally rejoice with Frank's new seared rat chimichurri fries and pick up a hand cannon or two while you wait. Rated 5 out of 5 toilets for all you marky foodie bloggers out there. I know, I know you're out there. Working hard to be everything the Arbides warned you about, all while shattering whatever's left of the beast. We are 665.66UHMR Chemrat Radio, reminding all of you Chemrats, Hive Mice, and Sump Ghoulies to keep those dials fixed right here. Same ratty frequency for a dose of the same ratty-ass attitude. Just remember all you uh, Chemrats, Hive Mice, and Sump Ghoulies, if it smells like vanilla, it might not taste like it. For all you marky foodies out there, just remember... Those four-armed emperors with four arms, five balls, and six dicks signing off. Did you also do your outro before the four-armed emperor that warning? That was the four-armed emperor. <laughs> <laughs> Read a book. <laughs> Read a fucking book. <laughs>